0: Welcome to the latest lung cancer podcast from VJ Oncology. In this episode, we'll be covering the latest updates on immune checkpoint inhibitor resistance for patients with non-small cell lung cancer. We'll be hearing from leading experts about new developments in our understanding of mechanisms of resistance, as well as possible therapeutic options for overcoming resistance. To start us off, let's hear from Professor Benjamin Bess of Gustav russi on how treatment resistance to immunotherapy is a key challenge when treating patients with non-small cell lung cancer.
1: One of the main challenges that we face today is patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer after resistance to chemo immunotherapy, so either given together as combo or sequentially immunotherapy followed by chemo, for example. Post chemo IO, the only drug that we have so far is docetaxel, and the benefit of this drug and its toxicity is, is really not optimal. So, we are looking for a lot of strategies to try to um, uh, reinitiate the response to immunotherapy in these patients, so, re-sensitize to immunotherapy. And Hudson is a trial where all the patients post chemo receive durvalumab. This is an anti pdl one antibody, plus another drug that is, let's say, uh, put as a booster of immunotherapy. So the trial is designed to have many different drugs. It's a, a umbrella trial, platform trial, and all the patients got a central testing on a new biopsy so that patients could be either biomarker selected, so we have a few biomarker match cohort, duravalumab plus a drug given based on the molecular profile, we call them the biomarker, biomarker match cohort, Or for all the other patients, we call them the old commerce, we have divided this old commerce population into strata. The patients considered with primary resistance to immunotherapy, and the definition we used here was um, a progression within 24 weeks after the initiation of immunotherapy. And the second strata is the secondary resistance to immunotherapy, those patients that receive at least 20 four weeks of immunotherapy, so usually they have a partial response, and then later a subsequent progression.
0: Professor Bess also took us through the Hudson trial, which investigated the use of four devalumab combination therapies to overcome PDR1 blockade resistance for previously treated patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer.
1: So in the results presented, four drugs were combined with devalumab as booster. Ceralazertib, formerly known as AZD6738, which is an ATR inhibitor. And this is the drug where the the, 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 the better signal of efficacy was seen. Olaparib, a PARP inhibitor, Sen, a STAT3 inhibitor, and Eluclumab, an antibody, again, CD. 73 were also combined with durvalumab in the attempt to sensitize to immunotherapy, but none of these three drugs really achieve a very good response. Overall among these four cohorts, the response rate uh, uh, for uh, these three drugs was below 5%, uh, although the response for Seralazertib, the ATR inhibitor, plus Durvalumab was 16.7%. If we look at the PFS, the Serralazertib plus Durvalumab arm had a PFS of six months, compared to less than three months for any of the other cohorts of Durvalumab plus Olaparib, Danvarticen, or Oliklumab. So really, it seems that there is a strong benefit uh, to give uh, 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 the, the seralazertib with immunotherapy. In terms of OS, we see also an OS of 15.9 months for this combination compared to a maximum of 11 months for any of the other drugs. If we go a bit deeper in the uh, seralazertib cohort, seralazertib is an ATR inhibitor. So in one of the cohorts, the patients were enriched based on biomarker that was deficiency on ATM, either because of a mutation in the ATM genes, either uh, a, a lack of expression of the. ATM protein by immunohistochemistry. 21 patients were enrolled in this cohort, and there was a trend for a better benefit with an overall response rate of 28.6% and a PFS of 8.4 months. Although a benefit was also seen in the all commerce, uh, so that uh, the following step of this study, it's a randomized phase three study called Latify that will run mispost chemoimmunotherapy, Ceralazeptib, the ATR inhibitor to Duvalumab, compared to Docetaxel in the control arm.
0: We also heard from Dr. Kishu Ranjan of Yale School of Medicine on the role of TAP2 regulation as a negative predictor of pd one inhibitor efficacy in patients with non-small cell lung cancer
2: so the actually class one antigen presentation machinery there are lots of proteins involved in this so the first like for example if there is any accumulation of aberrant or dysregulated protein they process to the immunoproteasome subunit. they that's basically a protein process where the large bulky proteins get given in small small peptides and they further processed through the end of their so from a bulky protein they become very 20 to uh 30 amino c uh, C. And then they, then they stay in a cytoplasm. And then to load onto the MSC molecules, they need a whole set of, uh, which is called as the peptide loading complex, which is, com- which is composed of the lots of sub uh, proteins. So tap one, tap two, they are the two major proteins. Basically, they are, uh, transporter proteins that allows basically transfer of those peptides from cytosol to the, where basically the MSC molecule is, uh, situated. So that's why uh it's very important now you can understand like the whole uh, proteins are getting uh, like uh, degraded there and they are sitting in a cytoplasm, but if they are not able to go and bind to the MSC molecules, there is no meaning of this whole process. And for that, they need a very fine uh, molecules like the proteins. In that case, tap one and tap two, they are basically transporters. So they are the initial checkers for these uh, lice proteins. And then they check the these proteins and then they allow the entry of these uh peptides from cytosol to the endoplasmic reticulum and once they are entered then they're further processed by different uh, peptidase and different chaperons. they shape they trim it they tune it and then they further load it to the msc molecule and with that they uh, uh, they assemble with the beta-2 microglobulin that's a very critical protein so with the beta-2 microglobulin and msc with the bound peptide they go to the golgi and from the golgi they go to the surface of the tumor cell and now it's there and displaying so now the cd8 t cell will not, when people there will be there they will recognize those tumor antigens and then they will start doing their function but the problem is all if if the peptide complex with the msc is strong enough still cd8 t cells are not able to induce that you know that prominent response there must be some uh, problem there. Because once you have the tumor antigens on the tumor cell surface, but tumor cells are smart too, like they will try to evade that thing. So they will try to evade uh, you know, doing something with the antigen presentation machinery. They will try to disturb the whole machinery so there is no uh, you know, presentation of those antigens to the surface. And then if the CD8 T cells are sitting there, they will not recognize those antigens, and nothing's going to happen. So, so, our project, like we are trying to, uh, like we are proposing that TAP2, the one of the transporter protein in the TAP family, the TAP2, like what we, so, so for the clinical purpose, like what we did in the study, so we have around uh, like 1,100 non-small cell lung cancer patients and in a different cohorts. And then we have around 200 immunotherapy, that's nine immunotherapy treated non-small cell lung, ca- lung cancer patients. And then we uh, screen the expression of TAP1 and TAP2 protein in those cohorts. So what we found that there were like around uh, so many cases, which is what was around 45% cases out of those those 1100 non-immunotherapy, there was a frequent downregulation of TAP2 protein, which was 45%, it's a lot, compared to the 5% loss in expression of TAP1 protein. So you can see like they both are responsible for transporting those peptides from cytosol to ER, but major defect was found in the expression of TAP2 protein compared to the TAP one. So that led to that led this foundation to uh, study more in depth about the TAP2 protein. Because they both are responsible for transporting those peptides. But why is it so selective with the TAP2, not with the TAP one? And and for, and, for and, and 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 let's say like example, like in immunotherapy cases, like when the when the clinicians they screen the patients and when they design the immunotherapy for a particular patient. So the basic thing, like, or maybe you can say the major determining factor in designing an immunotherapy research or, 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 the, or the treatment is to see the PDL one, PD1 expression. Because that that is like patients with having the high PDL one expression, they cannot respond more to the PD1 therapy. If the patient's having a low PDL one, there is no meaning to give the, the PD1 immunotherapy. So that's the clinical significance. So now you assume like you screen the patient having uh PDL1 and you can start doing the immunotherapy by giving the PD1 blocker which is basically blocking the uh the the checkpoints on the CD8 T cells but still if tumor antigen is not on a surface so that's not the whole thing is not going to work because if C- if you block the checkpoints on a CD8 T cell but still CD8 T cells need to go and bind to the tumor cells where the tumor antigen are there if you have defect in the antigen presentation and if you have no uh you know Strong antigens, antigenic signal on the tumor surface, the, the whole functional CD8 T cells is not going to work there. So our whole approach is to to discover a good biomarker together with the PDL1 or PD1. So we can we, so we are proposing that based on our data and what we have seen that measured with the cases like around 45 percent have defective TAP2. So if we design something where we screen patients based on the PDL1 as well as the TAP2 expression, then that will be a very Useful approach to design an immunotherapy for those patients, and so that's the clinical importance of this project, and uh, and also like we did lots of in vitro study to validate what's the signaling, like uh, like what what is triggering, and what is so selective for the TAP to not for the TAP. So we designed lots of in vitro experiments here. So my project is uh, like uh, you know combined with the basic research as well as the clinical aspect of it as well. And the and and the, the next part of this study is to to screen some compounds like the compounds which has the therapeutic importance. So now we find the problem. So the next part is to find a solution. Like you just say like this is problems. Now the next thing is like what what we can do now like in clinics like how are you gonna how are you gonna improve the target expression. So the other part in in this uh, project is we are trying to screen some therapeutically relevant compounds. So we are gonna use those compounds. In our lab scale cost, so we have lots of model system. Like we have the tissue culture system in our lab. We are uh, doing organoid system. We have in vitro cell culture facility. So we are in collaboration with the Yale Center for Molecular Discovery. We are trying to screen some compound which are able to to, uh, to recapitulate or to you know enhance the expression of TAP two in lung cancer patients in lung cancer samples. And then we will, in the future like we can start uh, trials with those compounds.
0: Finally. Dr. Biagio Ricciuti of Dana-Farber Cancer Institute gave us an overview of acquired mechanisms of resistance to PDR1 blockade in patients with non-small cell lung cancer.
3: At the CITC this year, uh, we presented our uh, retrospective analysis on genomic and immunophenotypic correlates of acquired resistance to pd one blockade in small cell lung cancer. And we uh, really tried to learn more about primary resistance to immunotherapies in lung cancer over the last years, and we've identified several biomarkers that may predict response of primary resistance to PD-1 based therapies uh, in patients with metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. However, uh, we really have very few information of the mechanism that may potentially drive acquired resistance to immunotherapies among patients who initially respond to these treatments and then eventually develop disease uh, progression. And so, to address this question, we uh, try to leverage an institutional cohorts of patients with metastatic nosomal cell cancer who had pre-treatment and post-treatment at tumor biopsies then experienced an objective response between the two tumor uh, biopsies. And so we identified a total of 80 patients with uh, intervening immunotherapy between the two tumor biopsies and 77 of these patients had enough tissue for comprehensive tumor genomic profiling, which we did using our in-house uh, NGS oncopanel platform. And we, When we compared the genomic profiles of patients uh, with pre- and post-immunotherapy uh, tumor biases, what we found was that there were several recurrent alterations that were, we were able to identify in resistant immunotherapy samples. Particularly, we found loss of function mutation in uh, genes, which were previously being uh, reported as mediator of primary resistance to immunotherapy, such as STK11 or LKB1. HIP1 and SMARCA4. But we also noted acquired loss of function mutation in genes such as beta 2 microglobulin which is a critical uh, protein necessary for antigen presentation. And this was previously reported by a group at Yale in 2017 in a small case series of patients with no small cell lung cancer who had matched pre and post immunotherapy tumor biopsies. And so our data are in line with uh, that a smaller study. Uh, and this was recurrent because it was found in five of the 77 patients. In addition, we also noted a loss of functional mutation in Jak one, which is a mediator of interferon gamma pathway. And again, this uh, alteration has been previously reported in melanoma patients by Antoni group. Uh, has potentially driver immunotherapy or acquired resistance. And so we were able to identify these alteration. But in addition to mutations in these genes, we also were able to find acquired copy number alterations, which is something other studies really didn't focus on, and we noted again that where a significant uh, amount of patients had acquired copy losses, losses, or homozygous losses, in several genes such as STK11, kif one mark 4 again, but also beta-tumaker globulin, uh, PDL1 and PDL2, which are two critical um, biomarkers of response immunotherapies and previous data from our group and others have shown that copy losses in these genes do associate with uh, resistance to immunotherapy and or Lower PD one expression level, and so we noted also this uh, this alteration. We tried to expand mm-hmm. our uh, analysis on immunophenotypic correlates of acquired resistance by also looking at uh, T cell count and immune cell subset count in previous as post immunotherapy samples to determine whether there was any change in immune cell subset uh, between these samples. And so, in a subset of these patients who had um, tumor biases, pre and post and uh, amethosilineal eosin stain slides, we leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithm to calculate and assess the density of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes pre immunotherapy and at the moment of acquired resistance to immunotherapy. And what we found looking at this question was that at the moment of acquired resistance to immunotherapy, there was a significant decrease in lymphocyte count within the tumor. We also looked into control courts of patients who did not receive immunotherapies, but did receive chemotherapy or targeted therapies between the two tumor biopsies. and What we noted was that in these two control courts, there was no change in any of the genomic factors I mentioned before, but also there was no change in to the tumor infiltrating immune cell subset count in terms of lymphocytes. Uh, to further characterize this immune cell uh, subset, in particular these lymphocytes, we also performed multiplex immunofluorescence on the same samples pre and post immunotherapy. And among patients with enough tissue for this additional analysis, what we noted was that specifically CD8 positive T cells and CD8 PD1 double positive T cells significantly decreased at the moment of acquired resistance to immunotherapy, as opposed to the baseline samples. And as last analysis, we also tried to look into the HLA class one expression, uh, which has been previously reported as a potential biomarkers for response and/or resistance to immunotherapy based on expression levels. And our hypothesis was that at the moment of acquired resistance, uh, we could potentially see a decrease in HLA class one expression, as previously reported in other tumor types. So we performed immunohistochemistry for HLA class one. And what we noted was that in patients who received immunotherapy at the moment of acquired resistance to this treatment, there was a significant decrease in HLA class one expression, has H score. But again, when we look into the, our two control courts of patients who did not um, uh, receive immunotherapy but received chemotherapy or targeted therapies, while in these two control courts, we did not observe any change in HLA class one expression, suggesting that this change. May be specific or more unique to uh, patients who received immunotherapies. And so, in summary, I think our data suggests that we can identify mechanisms of acquired resistance to immunotherapy. This can be heterogeneous, potentially encompassing mutation, copy number of alteration, but also immunophenotypic changes in uh, immune cell subset or HLA class 1 expression. And so, maybe um, relevant in the future to whenever feasible to profile uh, these tumors at the moment resistance has this information can inform treatment decision, but also can help us designing a next generation of clinical trials in the immunotherapy resistance setting in patients with non-small cell lung cancer.
0: That's it for our roundup of the latest research on resistance to immune checkpoint inhibitors for non-small cell lung cancer. We have loads more interviews from experts in lung cancer and beyond on vjooncology.com. So why not explore? If you enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe for free on your favourite podcast app, including Spotify and Apple, to make sure you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Twitter for all the latest updates in oncology. Stay tuned for more podcasts covering the latest updates in lung cancer and more with VG Oncology.